I invite you to turn with me this morning to Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our text will be verses 12 through 19 this morning. And as you're turning, uh, please uh, please remember, if, uh, if you haven't done so already, fill out the front of your communication card and be prepared at the close of service to drop it off in the offering plate um, as, uh, as this service comes to an end. Um, keep in mind also that, uh, that you're welcome to make use of the uh, spot for prayer request on the back of the card just under the sermon response if, uh, if you have something... Uh, for which you'd like for me to be praying specifically this week. Mark that down there uh, with as much or as little detail as you'd like, and um, and I will um, and I will be praying for that throughout the week. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, beginning at verse twelve, and then reading through verse nineteen. Paul says, "Now if Christ is preached." That he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul says that the resurrection is it. This is the defining, um, the defining event of the Christian gospel. And if Christ was not raised from the dead, there is no real hope in the gospel. There is no real substance of our faith. Because the resurrection of Christ is the very ground and subsistence of our faith. The resurrection of Jesus is what our whole faith is about. And it's also what gives validity to what we say about the Christian message. Paul says to the Corinthian church that um, to whom he was writing that had all sorts of issues going on. Some horrible Others just concerns, questions they had. He addresses them here in his first letter. And as it comes to this 15th chapter, he tells them what he has already told and what they have already heard about the resurrection of Jesus. We find that in the first 11 uh, verses. The resurrection of Christ and those to whom he he, um, he appeared as, as, as a resurrected Lord. 
And then in 12, you get to really kind of the crux of the issue. There were some among the Corinthians who said, you know what? When someone dies and you bury their body, they don't come out. They never have. They never will. What we can hope for is that our souls somehow will live on for eternity. And Paul says, if if there is no resurrection, then we can't say Christ has been raised. And if we can't say that Christ has been raised, then what we've been preaching has been a lie. And what you've been believing is pointless. Paul is fighting for a literal, bodily, physical resurrection of Christ. And he says that that is the very substance of our faith, that Christ has been raised from the dead. Have you seen The Truman Show? Came out in 1998. Raise your hand if you've seen it. Hands down. Raise your hand if you have not seen it. Oh, spoiler alert. It's been out since 1998. If you haven't watched it already, don't think you're planning on it. Uh, despite the spoiler, though, I encourage... Well, it's always tough, Mike, isn't it, to encourage folks to watch a specific movie? Yes. <laughs> Overall, it's a good movie. I'll say that. The Truman Show. It's, it's, it's reality television before reality television came about. You know, you see the reality television that's advertised. Perhaps you've seen some, some of the programs. And really, it's not reality. It, it's as far, as, as far removed from reality as you can get because nobody acts real when they know the camera's running and that there are potential benefits of behaving certain ways. And so, uh, but the Truman Show was a was a um, it's a movie about a about a, a baby that's born basically on a uh, on a studio set, and there's this world that's been crafted around him, and there's there's this baby that's born, and he grows up, and he lives in this enormous several mile uh, several square mile studio set, and there's a sky above, clouds that move, rain that comes in. There's a horizon off in the distance. There are bodies of water. All this around him. But he doesn't realize that it's all just a big set. And so everyone around him are actors in this show. And the show is his life and his interaction with others. Meets a, meets a lady, gets married. He lives the normal life. He goes to work every day. Does yard work out, out in the lawn. And as, as time moves on, he begins to notice certain things that aren't seeming to jive quite, quite correctly. Uh, a, a, a spotlight falls out of the sky, and everyone just pretends like nothing really happened. And it, different things like that start to tip him off that, that life is not what he's known it to be. That there's something going on here, and he's not a part of what's going on. And so... Uh, he becomes suspicious, and he uh, it, it, you find all sorts of uh, of, of shifts in his uh, friendships and so forth that are going on as he's becoming very paranoid of what's going of, of what's happening around him, and suspicious of everyone and everything, and who's in and who's out, and um, he, he's not sure what to make of it. But something is just not quite right in this world that he's known. And uh, at the end, 
he crosses a body of water. They had been trying to keep him from doing that uh, when he was a child. He became terrified of water because of a big orchestrated event that happened. And, and um, he gets out in the boat and it, storms are coming about. And, and everyone around is, is trying to keep him contained, keep him from getting to the edges of the studio because they, they know if he gets to the edge, he, the plot's blown. Um, the show, uh, in, in, the, in the plot, the, the show is about Truman. It's, it's his life. And people can tune in uh, 24-7, any time of, of day. It, it, watch him sleep. Watch him as he wakes up. Watch him eat a bowl of cereal in the morning. All sorts of, you know, just weird things. But the show is about his life. Day in and day out, what's going on. Well, so he gets in the boat. He's crossing the water. He finally gets past where all the storms are, and he's, he says, you know what, I'm just going to get away. And, uh, and before you know it, he runs into this wall. And um, he couldn't even see it coming because everything was painted so beautifully. Everything was, was so perfect, but it was so limited and finite. But he runs into this wall, and um, the scene is kind of, kind of dramatic and emotional. He, suddenly his world has, has fallen to pieces. What's, what is this wall? This was the horizon. This, I'm, I'm heading out you know, toward, the, uh, toward the ends of the earth, and boom, I run into this wall. And so he's kind of stumbling out of the boat, and he's beating on the wall. He's just hammering on the wall because he realizes his whole life somehow has been some big joke. Um, he notices the stairs. You see the stairs. Ignore that cartoonish-looking alligator shadow behind him. It looks kind of weird. But uh, he noticed the stairs, he's going up the stairs, and he gets to the stairs, and there's this door painted also to match the background, and, and he, he opens the door, and there's this just black rectangular abyss past him. And right before he takes that step out, the clouds part, and the sun is shining, and boom, here's a voice, Truman. And it's the director, the, the creator of this, of this story. It, He's not a God figure. He's, he's kind of an antichrist figure. He's, 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 uh, he's controlling and conniving. and, and uh, uh, He's not interested in Truman for Truman's uh, own sake. But, um, but this voice comes out, Truman! And he's startled. He looks up into the sky. And he asks the three most important questions that can be asked in a person's life. The first is, who are you? The answer is very telling. Uh, the uh, director of the show, he says, I am the creator. And he pauses for a brief, brief moment, and then he goes on, I'm a television show that you know, brings happiness and joy and inspiration to millions of people around the world. Truman's second question, who am I? And the response is, you're the star. And then the last question he asks, was nothing real? Those really are three of the most transcendental questions we can ask in life. Three of the highest questions we can ask in life. And three questions that are naturally asked by most people. Who's out there? Who is God? Is there a God? If so, what is He like? Is there someone that's really made this world? Is there someone that's really made me to be me? 
And who am I? How do I relate to this whole thing? How do, how do I relate to God if there is a God? How do I relate to the world around me? Who am I? What, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be me? And then lastly, what's the nature of things? What's, what's with this world? Is there meaning in life? Is there purpose in this world? To what extent does this world matter? Is there anything beyond it? Because whether or not there is something beyond it or not will have implications about the significance of this world. Those are Truman's questions. And those are questions that you and I have probably at some point in our lives wrestled with. And those are questions that, for which the gospel has an answer. And the resurrection of Jesus actually speaks to these questions. Paul says that um, Paul says that the resurrection of Christ is the whole sum of the good news. The interesting thing about the resurrection of Christ, one of the interesting things, of course, countless things could be said about it, is the the nature of the resurrection of Jesus as it relates to history. Uh, if, if you'll just imagine with me for a moment, the resurrection shatters history. It affects all that's come before it, and it affects all that comes after it. It, it looks to the, to the past and changes everything, and it looks to the future and changes everything. It has something to say about creation as well as redemption. It is the triumph of Christ's victory. It says something not just about what we are to be after death, but it says something about what this life is about. And what the lives of those who have come before us were about. And Paul says that without the resurrection of Jesus, we have really nothing. The uh, New King James pretties it up and says we are of all men the most pitiable, a synonym would be we are of all men the most pathetic. And we're claiming that a man rose from the dead and if he didn't, then we're lying about what God's done and we've put our faith in Him and the claims that He made about Himself and if they didn't come to pass, then what? And we're conforming our lives here and now Based on that lie. But Paul says it is not a lie. It has indeed happened. It has been attested to by countless sources. Paul is arguing not for some philosophical or theological truth. He is arguing for a historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. His body was not in it. His body appeared to them. Still even bearing his scars. And because the resurrection stands in the middle of history and shatters history, it has something to say about creation and redemption. It has something to say also about the Creator, those He has created, and the world that He has created. Think first with me about that first question that um, we often ask and that we find in uh, 
in Truman's words in that closing scene. Who is God? The scriptures, the resurrection, confirm that He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer and the Redeemer of all things. He is the one who loved His creation so much that He entered it. He's the one who loved human beings so much that He became one. Not for some passing 33 some odd years, but for the rest of time and beyond. You see, when we say that Christ became a man, we're not saying that He came as a man as though He could then somehow leave not as a man. But we're saying God, the eternal God, the eternal Son, became a human being. And the resurrection tells us that He still is. He did not somehow become some mysterious ghost that went back to be with the Father. The scriptures tell us they watched his body ascend to the Father. The one bearing the wounds of their redemption went to be with the Father. And so the resurrection tells us that God cares an awful lot about the people he has made and the world he has made. He cared so much about this world that he entered it. He cared so much about the people he made that he became a human being. Who is God? He is the loving maker of all things. And he is the loving maker of our souls. The resurrection of Christ has something also to say about that question. What is man? Just as a, um, a, um, a plug for something that's been around a couple hundred years or so. Uh, John Wesley wrote a couple of sermons titled, What is Man? I encourage you to read both of them. They're good. They, um, you know, a little 15-page sermon that you spend half an hour reading. You know, encourage your soul and strengthen your mind and heart. This question, what is man? It was the question the psalmist asked. God, what is man that you're mindful of him? Like, who are we? We know we're, we're just like the grass of the field and the flower of, of the meadow. It's going to pass away. It's going to be cut down, chopped down, dried up, and just blown away. Varice, our lives are going to turn into something similar to that plant out there. Leaves falling off, everything's breaking down. Right, Bill? And, and so, if, if that is the nature of life, if we're just going to mature and age and then start deteriorating and then come to an end, who are we? What, what, what are we? The scriptures declare to us and the resurrection confirms to us that we are created in God's image and very, very importantly, we are redeemed by God's image. Paul says to the Colossians that Christ, 
is the image of the invisible God. That ought to immediately make our minds race back to Genesis in the creation account. Let us make man in our image. We are made in the very image and likeness of God. And he who is the eternal image of God, the Son, became one of us to redeem us. To put our lives back together. To put this world back together. The image of God came to rescue the finite images of God. So who are you? You were created to be a child of God. You were created to look like Him. To act like Him. And He has come to redeem you. He has come Himself. Personally. To redeem you. Truman asked. Was nothing real? If this is just some big stage and I am being watched by millions of people and everyone around me has been in on this and I've run to the end of this wall, run into this wall, run to the end of this stage and I've approached the top of the staircase and there's that black abyss of a rectangle before me, was any of this real? Interesting uh, statement that the uh, creator, his name's Christoph. Um, there's meaning in, in a lot of the names and so forth of the movie. But um, um, his response is, Truman, you are real. Your interactions you know, were yours. Your words, your feelings, your thoughts, they were all yours. The things you did with your hands, the things you did with your mind, it, it was yours. Related to the question, to what extent does the physical world matter, which is really the question that Truman's asking. Was, it was nothing real? Does, does this even matter? That's how we often ask it. Does this life matter? It, which can be answered really from a couple of perspectives. One, seeing that this life is all there is, which is what Paul says, if there's no resurrection and this life is all there is, then, wow, we're, um, we're living a lie. It can be answered from a, an, the alternate perspective. If there's a life beyond this one for the Christian, we ought to think, well, then what... Does this life matter? Is it that important? The fact that God created the world and said it is good, and the fact that God entered that world to redeem those He had made in His image, and the fact that Christ rose bodily from the dead as our victorious Lord, ought to scream to us that this world matters immensely. The resurrection of Jesus stands as God's affirmation of matter. His affirmation of the physical. God didn't just use matter or use the physical world just to redeem lost souls. 
he entered into it and rose again after death, still able to say, here, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. (coughs) Grilling fish on the seashore with bread. Come on, disciples, come have a seat. Let's eat. The resurrection of Christ reminds us of what the incarnation says about him. Easter reminds us, it fulfills Christmas, but it reminds us what Christmas was about. God has wed himself to this world. He has wed himself to matter. To the world he created. And the resurrection of Jesus compels us to embrace the life that God has given us, to embrace the world that God has made and declared to be good. And to do so with hearts that are redeemed and joyous and celebratory and thankful for what He has done. You know, one of my uh, literary and theological and just Christian living heroes is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, he gave up his life to the gallows at age 30. Do you remember, Rick? 30-something? You looked it up. Yeah. 32 or 3. Young guy. I'm celebrating 32 this Saturday. So right around my age. And... um, while in prison, had a fiancé on the outside. Waiting for World War II to end. Waiting for the Nazi regime to collapse. Waiting for his freedom. And he made a statement that is absolutely mind-blowing. For someone like him, in his predicament, to say. He said, Christians who timidly stand with only one foot on earth will also stand with only one foot in heaven. His point was, this is the, God, the life that God has given us. We are called to embrace it and thankfully live it with joyous victory. This is the world that God has created. That He has entered to redeem. And we are called to thankfully celebrate our time here. The resurrection of Jesus offers answers to life's toughest questions. It offers substantive hope. It offers meaningful faith. Faith that can be placed not in Myths, not in legends, not in fairy tales, but in a story of what has really happened in this world and that is measurable in history. And it offers us victory. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul says, theologically speaking, you and I too have been raised from the dead.
He says, in baptism, we have been buried with Christ and we have been raised up to live new lives. In fact, any of us who have put our faith in Him, Paul says, we are new creatures. The old has passed away and all things have become new. And so we're called to take this historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus as seriously as it demands to be taken. And to live in it with the victory that it offers. And to remember that God has created and intends to redeem the world. If you will take your communication cards and turn them to the back, I uh, want you to consider making one, two, or perhaps even three responses. Those responses are also on the uh, back of your bulletin for you to keep and remember. Firstly, I wonder if you'd say, you know, I, resurrection in my mind and in my heart has kind of been a, uh, an afterthought. It's been kind of the, maybe the appendix to the book. And if it is the ground and substance of my faith, then I need to take that a little bit more serious, or more seriously. I wonder if you would um, commit to uh, intending to take Jesus' resurrection a bit more seriously. Secondly, if He's been raised, and if our faith is in Him that He died for our sins and was raised up so that we would have new life in Him, I wonder if you would say, you know what? My intention is to live in the victory of Jesus' resurrection. Not in the defeat of sin, but in the victory of sin that has been dealt with. Sin that has been died for. Sin that has been buried in the ground. And live in the new life that's been raised up. You and I are not called to live ho-hum lives. We're called to live victorious lives. Redemptive lives. Lives of joy and celebration. Lives of fullness and redemption. And then lastly, I wonder if you would commit to uh, taking this world or becoming as serious about this world as God is. If this is the world that God saw fit to redeem, then you know what? I'm going to jump in and do all I can to to spread the news and to help this world. As we prayerfully consider these responses... I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and let's breathe a word of prayer together.